Eleven Madison Park is one of the best restaurants in the world. They're located in the heart of New York City, and the founders have won many awards from Best 50 to a four-star review from the New York Times. But the founders of Eleven Madison Park had a problem. The people in the restaurant were so busy and so consumed putting on a great restaurant that they never had an opportunity to engage their community. So to solve that problem, the founders created a food truck. And now people in Brooklyn and the Bronx are able to enjoy these amazing meals from 11 Madison Park. And they're able to reach people they would have otherwise never been able to reach. And in that way, they kind of relate to the people of Israel. See, the people of Israel found themselves in Babylon. It was a place they never otherwise would have gone unless God sent them there. And they wouldn't have gone to Babylon for good reason because it was an evil place that was hostile to things of God. We talked last week about how Babylon is an actual city in the ancient Near East, and we read about it throughout history and in scripture. But because of their infamous hostility toward things of God and how godless Babylon is, we also know that Babylon stands throughout scripture as an archetype or a symbol for any time humanity tries to do life without God. And so last weekend when we kicked off this series, we said in that way, you and I live in our own places of Babylon. We live in uh, maybe a university setting that's hostile to things of God or a workplace that's a, a Babylon type environment. Some of us have that in our neighborhoods or our communities. And some of you, even in your own homes, you feel like you're living in a Babylon. And so last weekend, we looked at how Daniel gives us some examples of how we can navigate Babylon. But there's still this burning question for us about living in Babylon. We wonder how long are we going to be here and what's going to become of us? And, and maybe not even so much for us, but the generations that come after us. I think many of us are, are convinced that we'll be okay in Babylon, but we are so worried about our kids or our grandkids because we see how things are going. And so we wrestle with this question. And here's the question that we're going to tackle today. It's this one. It's how do we prosper in Babylon? And God tells us that we can not only survive in Babylon, but that we can thrive in Babylon. And so today we're going to look at a piece of scripture that God sent to his people while they were in Babylon to let them know how to prosper in Babylon. That passage of scripture is found in Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah is a book in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up or turn it on to Jeremiah 29. As you're turning there, let me just set the stage for you. Jeremiah was a prophet. That's somebody to whom and through whom God spoke. So when God needed to give a message to his people, he would often do it through a prophet like Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah lived in the city of Jerusalem, and he lived there in the years leading up to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon's conquest of the city of Jerusalem. And he warned the people that this was coming. Now, nobody would listen to him, but he kept telling them that God was going to bring Nebuchadnezzar and was going to bring Babylon. And while many of the, the people of Jerusalem were taken captive into Babylon, they left Jeremiah and some others there amongst the rubble. And it was there that God spoke to Jeremiah and told him to write a letter to his people who had been sent into exile in Babylon to encourage them and to tell them how to prosper 
in Babylon. Here's what he writes. And I want to warn you, we're going to pick up in verse four. This may be the most counterintuitive thing that you will hear in this entire series. Here's the word of God. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and give your, and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And in verse seven, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that, doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us that God is calling his people to help Babylon prosper. I mean, Babylon is, is, is the things that, that, that stand that are against God. It's that ideology that is godless. It's that place that, that doesn't want to support the things of God. And, and God is telling his people that that's what we're supposed to help prosper. And while that sounds really challenging and almost offensive to us, can you imagine what this was like for those captives in, in Babylon? I mean, the Babylonians were the people that came into their city. They, they burned their homes. They destroyed the temple of God. They would have killed people that they knew. And then they shackled them and they took them out of Jerusalem on a treacherous journey all the way to Babylon. And God is saying, that city, those people, that's who I want you to pray for. And I want you to help them prosper. Why on earth do we need to help Babylon prosper? And how is that somehow tied to our own prosperity? Well, in order for us to really answer those questions, we need to take a step back and remember what is true about God. Here's the temptation that you and I face when we are in Babylon. We are so tempted to look at our situation and our circumstance and how we feel about our situation. And then we allow that to influence our view of God. But see, that's a Babylonian way of thinking. See, the Babylonians always start with themselves. What's true for me and what's my perspective on this? But the people of God always take a different perspective. We start with what we know to be true about God from his word. And we use what we know to be true about God to then influence our situation and our circumstance and how we feel and process it. So what do we know to be true about God? Well, it's the first lesson that we need to learn in how we can prosper in Babylon. And it's this lesson. It's that God always, God always has a plan of redemption. God's always working a plan of redemption. Now for his people that he brought into Babylon, that plan of redemption was all about trying to get their attention. See, the people of Israel were living in Jerusalem and that city, even though it was dedicated to things of God and God's temple was there, they were actually behaving less like people of God and they were actually behaving more like the Babylonians themselves because God's people had forgotten about God. They weren't obeying him. They were doing things that were against his will. And so God, in an effort to get their attention, he carries them into Babylon. Now you might be saying, no, wait a minute. I thought Nebuchadnezzar carried them into Babylon. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And remember we said last week that God is in control of who is in control. See, God used Nebuchadnezzar as his chosen instrument to inflict punishment on his people. That's why in verse four of Jeremiah 29, God says, I am the one who carried you into Babylon. It was to get their attention because it was in Babylon that they came to the consequence of their sin. 
Folks, Babylon was a painful place for the people of Israel. And listen, I know at times Babylon can be a painful place for us. But it's in the midst of that pain that it can redirect us away from things against God and it can focus us on God. That's what happened to the people of Israel. We know that and we know the pain they experienced because they wrote Psalms about what it was like in Babylon. Psalm 137 is one of those Psalms. Listen to the first three lines. And just listen to the pain that the people of Israel had while in Babylon. Maybe you can relate. They write, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion was the temple mount in Jerusalem that had, that had the temple of God there. And they're missing it. In verse two, it says, there on the poplars, we hung our harps. There our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. The Babylonians are, are making fun of and they are mocking the people of God and it was a painful experience for them. But listen, in the midst of that pain, it drew the people of God back to him. Folks, sometimes God lets us go into Babylon because he needs to get our attention so we go back to him. And some of us may be worried and we're consumed because we have loved ones who have, have, have kind of gone into Babylon and we're, we're concerned about what's gonna to happen to their spiritual life. That may be all part of God's plan to bring them back to him. But, but listen, it wasn't just drawing his own people's hearts back to him that God was doing in Babylon. God was also laying out an even larger plan of redemption. And that's what verse five and six in Jeremiah 29 are all about. Look again at those verses. Uh, when God tells the people that they're to build houses and settle down and they're to have gardens and eat what they produce and then marry and, and give their sons and daughters in marriage. God wasn't saying to marry the Babylonians. He was saying, no, I want you to marry one another. I, I want you as, as my people to grow as a community within that community of Babylon. That's why God tells them increase in number there, don't decrease. And the reason that God gave such specific direction to the people was because there was a debate going on among God's people. See, Jeremiah was the prophet that God was choosing to speak through, but there was also a false prophet in Israel in those days. And that false prophet in Jerusalem was a man by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah told the people, no, 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 no. God is saying that you're only going to be in, in, in Babylon for two years. And then after two years time, God is going to crush the Babylonians and he's going to restore all of the fortunes to the people of Israel and Jerusalem will be restored. And the message that Hananiah gave was so damaging because it was telling the people just to hunker down and wait for God to smite the Babylonians. And can you imagine if they would have listened to that advice? God had planned for them to be in Babylon for 70 years. Folks, you can't go 70 years and sustain a community without any sort of infrastructure or any sort of community or any sort of intentionality. The people of Israel, God's chosen people would have fallen apart if that would have been the case. But they listened to the words that God gave to Jeremiah and it's there that they did build a community. And they strengthened that community and they had faith and they grew in number there in Babylon. And one of the ways that they grew was they grew in their faith, which was an interesting problem for the people of God because the, so much of their faith was about going to the temple and giving praise to God there in the temple, but the temple was destroyed and they were in a faraway land. So how can they worship? So what they did is they started coming together in dedicated spaces that would later become places of prayer, places where they would read the Torah, places where they would encourage one another. And they named those places later synagogues. 
That's where they started, was in Babylon. And that's important because when the Persians took over and they conquered Babylon, they allowed God's people to go back to Israel and to go back to, to Jerusalem. And many did. And when they went back, they created synagogues there. But other Jewish believers, they expanded with the expanding Persian and Greek and Roman empires. And they went to the far ends of the earth. And every time they set up shop in a brand new community there, they also created a synagogue. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that we as Christians today, why is it that we gather together on a weekly basis in local churches? I mean, why don't we have like one big church in America and once a year, all of us kind of go to this one massive gathering? Or how come we don't have one big church in Minnesota and every month we try to go to that one location? You know, you know why we, we don't do that? It's because we could never agree on the potluck after service. No, that's not why we do it. The reason we don't do that is because from the beginning of the church, from the earliest days, we gathered in local communities. And do you know how that got started? When Jesus sent his disciples out into the world to, to share the good news of him, do you know where they went? They started in synagogues because it was there, the, the, the Old Testament, the Torah was being read and it points to Jesus. And they would use that as a basis to tell them about Jesus and people would come to faith in Jesus. And then that community would come together that often had met there in the synagogue. In other words, the infrastructure that God was laying the foundation for in Babylon would be used for the next 2,500 years to advance the good news of Jesus Christ through what we now have as the church. Folks, God designed the church to thrive in Babylon. We were made for this. And God's plan of redemption began there. So we can have confidence in Babylon. And we need to engage in our local churches because that's how we, that's, 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 that's how we prosper in Babylon. Now, that also leads into the second lesson that we have about how we can prosper in Babylon. And that's that God will use Babylon to grow our faith. See, it was the people of Israel that God told, I, I want you to increase in number. And he said the increase in number by having kids and having families. And God tells us, the church, that we are supposed to increase in number, but not through having kids, but through making disciples. Let's remind ourselves of the words that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 28. This is our great commission. Jesus says this, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And I love that Jesus says, as you're going, go, go, don't hang out, don't hide. Don't be like Hananiah and, and want to hunker down and wait for God to smite this evil world. No, no, go into the world. In fact, Jesus says, go, go where? Go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Folks, we grow in our faith when we are about the business of making disciples. Because when you're making a disciple, you're helping more people learn about Jesus, and it helps us to grow in our faith as well. And I think one of the best places to grow in our faith is when our faith is tested the most. And that's in a place like Babylon. As some of you know that I did my undergraduate at University of Wisconsin in Madison. Now, before you judge me, just keep in mind, all of us have a past but it was at UW-Madison that I grew the most in my faith. 
And Madison, if you aren't familiar with that city and that campus, it's basically a Babylon. It is a godless place that has no room or no concern for things of God. And yet it was there that God deepened my faith in incredible ways. And do you know how? Because in a place like that, you cannot be a casual Christian. You go one of two ways. You either decide that you're going to follow Jesus and do what he says, or you get swept up by culture. And the reason I was able to thrive in that Babylon was because of Jordan. Jordan was a guy that's a couple years ahead of me in age. And he was actually a relatively new believer, but he had learned how to navigate that college campus while still following Jesus. And Jordan poured into my life. And we met for coffee and, and we met for dinners and we worked out together. And, and I saw in Jordan the type of man and the type of Christian that I wanted to become. And after Jordan graduated, it made me want to go find somebody else and be a Jordan to someone else to help them grow in their faith. Folks, that's how we can, that's how we can prosper in Babylon. So here's just a couple of real practical points for us. If we're in a Babylon environment, here's the first thing you need. You need to have a mentor. You need to seek somebody out who's a little bit ahead of you in faith and let them pour into your life. Use them as an example. Learn from them. Ask questions for them. Watch how they're able to grow in their faith and talk to them about your Babylon environment. And then you need to be a mentor. You need to find someone who maybe is a little bit behind you in their faith journey and pour into them. And if you're saying, well, listen, I'm so new in my faith. I don't think I could ever find somebody who, who needs to, to be mentored by me. I don't know what I could offer them. Start with somebody who doesn't yet know about Jesus. If you know about Jesus, you are further along on your faith journey than they are. And we can help to be a mentor and, and, to, and to have a mentor in a place like Babylon. And if you need some help, here's what you can do here at Wooddale Church. We want to help you through our one-to-one -one spiritual mentoring program. And so you can go right here to our website, wooddale.org slash mentoring, and you can sign up to receive a mentor or to become a mentor yourself. Now, the other area where we need to absolutely allow God to use Babylon to grow our faith is in our commitment to equip the next generation. Folks, you may be tired of me talking about this. I feel like every message I'm telling you about the next generation, I'm gonna keep talking about it. And the reason is because I believe with all of my being that God has called us, you and me, and those of us that call Wooddale Church our home, that he has called us at Wooddale to help to develop the most spiritually resilient generation that our nation has ever seen. Because the times are tough and Babylon is growing. And so it's time now for us to be about this. So real practically, if you have kids or grandkids, grandkids, they need to be invested and involved here in our local church. That's what the church is here for. We're a community within a community. Folks, I know your schedules are busy. I know it's hard to get here, but when, when program starts out in the, during the school year, you need to have your kids here on Wednesday. You need to have your fifth or 12th graders involved in our student programs and have them here in church and on the weekends. And, and you need to have your elementary and your preschool kids involved and invested. And we have great programs. We have a great program on Wednesday night called WOW during the school year, Woods on Wednesday. Both of my kids said yes to Jesus through that program. Folks, whatever it takes, fight your calendar, reschedule things, figure it out, but make a commitment that you and your kids are going to be involved and invested so you can equip them to be able to navigate Babylon. And if you have littles, a great place to start, maybe Wooddale Academy. We have so many resources here, but you need to use them and be invested in them to prepare you to navigate Babylon. 
And that leads us to then this third and this final challenging application that God gives to us about how we prosper in Babylon. It's that God calls us to help Babylon prosper. I told you, it's confusing, it's perplexing, and it's a massive challenge for us. Why would God call us to help Babylon prosper? And I'll be honest with you, I have been deeply wrestling with this question. This text has been weighing on my soul and I've been crying out to God, God, why are you calling us to do this? What's your plan with this? How does this fit? It seems like Babylon and their ideas are, are not things that we should encourage. And, and, and God's really helped me to understand what he's saying and what he's not saying in this passage. And, and as I've been just wrestling with this, God reminded me that this is not the first time that he has called his people to help a city that's been godless prosper. There was a time actually before this where God called another one of his prophets to go into an ungodly city and there proclaim a message of truth to those people. And the reason that God did it is because he wanted those people to, to come back to him. The problem was the prophet that he asked to go hated the people and didn't want to go. But God told the prophet Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh. And Jonah refused. And Jonah went the other way. And through a series of pretty dramatic events, God got Jonah's attention. And eventually Jonah did go to the city of Nineveh. And there he did preach the message that God had for him. And the people turned their hearts to God. And Jonah was angry about it. He was angry about it. And God confronts Jonah about his anger and God explains to Jonah why he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And it's the very final verse in the short little book of Jonah. Let me just read it for you. It's Jonah 4:11. God says this, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals, which I guess means God cares about your dog and maybe your cat too. You know what God calls us to help Babylon prosper? It's because there are people there. There are people there whom God loves because they're people who are created in his image, but that image was stolen from them and they're far from God and they're confused because Babylon and the places and these cities and these communities that are far from God are filled with nonsense and false ideas. And folks, these people don't even know their right hand from their left. And so God in his mercy sends us to go and help them prosper by bringing them back to him. See, that's what Jeremiah was talking about. When you look at the verse that Jeremiah gives to us in, in 29, verse seven, he, he tells us this. He says that seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Now the word peace, when Jeremiah wrote it, it was the Hebrew word shalom. And that word shalom isn't just absence of conflict. That word shalom is about wholeness and completion and restoration. It's about whole life being restored. And for the Hebrew way of thinking, that only happens when you bring people back into a right relationship with God. And so we are called by God to go and help Babylon prosper. And there are two specific ways where God is calling us to do this. The first is that we are called by God to tell a better way. 
over the last several years, I have been paying attention to what's been happening in the United Kingdom because the UK has moved very much into a post-Christian society. And so I'm curious how churches and ministries are navigating that post-Christian environment. And one of the people that I listen to is a gentleman by the name of Justin Brierley. He's the apologetics editor for Premier Christian Radio there in the UK. And recently he interviewed an intellectual atheist by the name of Douglas Murray. Now, Douglas lives a lifestyle that is very far from things of God. And Douglas, even though having grown up in the church, has stepped away from it completely and has really just kind of given up his faith. And Douglas has a lot of pretty controversial ideas, but recently Douglas was going after the church and accusing and criticizing the church for a number of different things. And Justin invited him onto his program to talk about it. And when I was listening to the interview, Douglas made a statement that when I heard it, I stopped everything I was doing. Honestly, my mouth fell open because I could not believe what I was hearing. Here's what Douglas, this outspoken atheist said to Justin. He said, I'm not saying that the church simply has a PR problem. What I'm saying is the church has failed to tell their own story. And it's a story that we're desperately missing. This is from an atheist. And then he goes on to explain what he means by that. He he explained the story that that he was remembering that the horrific events in 2015 where a shooter went into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed a number of, of, of church members at this AME church. And Douglas was recounting that he was following the news reports about this, and and one of them just struck him completely blindsided because he said that he was listening to one of the family members of the victims who was addressing the shooter. And that family member looked at the shooter who had killed one of her family members, and she said to the shooter, I forgive you. And Douglas said, even to this day, remembering her words gives him chills. And he said, I was struck by it because he said, no one else in our culture, no one else talks about forgiveness. It's only in the Christian church where forgiveness is really part of the core message. And he said, what I can't understand is if something that transforming, that powerful is what you believe, why aren't you sharing it? I have to tell you, I'm not advocating any of the positions that Douglas Murray advocates. All I'm saying is I was convicted by his criticism. Folks, we have the gospel message. We have a story that is transforming, and far too many of us are sitting back, not sharing it in the places of Babylon. And I'm not encouraging us to go be obnoxious about it, but just to tell our authentic stories. I mean, let's just apply what what Douglas is saying to us. I mean, when when we see people debating in our society and and arguing in Babylon about who to blame for this or that or how we should cancel somebody because of a previous thing that they had done or said, what if we came into the conversation and said, let me tell you a different perspective. Let me give you the perspective of forgiveness. And then let me tell you about the impact that forgiveness has had in my life because of what Jesus has done for me. See, folks, that's a, that's a better way. And it's a way that ultimately will help Babylon to prosper. Now, in addition to telling a better way, folks, we have an opportunity to also show a better way. Let me wrap up with this. For, for thousands of years, the church has grown in places like Babylon 
when the people of God have helped those who are most in need prosper. That's how we've grown. Because the church has recognized that God has been incredibly generous and gracious to us. He's given us things that we did not deserve. And so our response is that we go find people in need and we give them what they may not deserve because it will help them prosper as God has helped us to prosper. And so I want to give you a really specific opportunity for all of us here at Wooddale Church to help make a difference, to help our communities to prosper. There are families in the communities in which we have campus locations here at Wooddale Church right now families this summer who are anxious about the school you're starting. And they're anxious because they do not have the resources or the funds to provide school supplies for their children. And here's what we know. Families that are struggling to provide school supplies for their children are economically disadvantaged. And if those kids don't have the school supplies they need to be successful in school, they're not going to be able to thrive and succeed in school. And that is going to further set them back in terms of the economic trajectory. And it creates a cycle of poverty that you cannot escape. And so folks, what we can do is we can show Babylon a better way by saying that should never happen in a community in which God's church is located. And so what Wooddale, what we can make a difference of is we can make a commitment that there will never be a family who is not able to provide school supplies for their children in a community in which Wooddale Church has a campus. And so that's why we are launching here today our school supply drive. It's an opportunity for us to follow the words of God and help our communities to prosper. It doesn't mean we agree with everything they teach, but it does mean that we will show them a better way. If you want to be part of this, I want to invite you to join us in the school supply drive. It goes between now and August 8th, and you can go to this website, weare4.com. Weare4.com, this is a website we've created to let our communities know that we are for them because God calls us to help them prosper. And it's on that website that you can get a list of of school supplies. You can bring them to one of our campus locations to help to support our local schools and families. You can actually purchase some of those school supplies right there on Amazon's wish list and they'll get delivered. Or you can contribute money to our compassion fund. And then we will use the the funds from that compassion fund to meet uh, the rest of the needs to make sure there is not one child in our community that does not have the needed school supplies that they require for school. Folks, what a way for us to show our communities a better way and to let them know that we are for them because God is for them. You know that food truck from 11 Madison Park? Uh, They distribute 2,000 meals every week in the Bronx and in Brooklyn, and they do it for free because that food truck gives away those meals to families and people who are food insecure in the places where they need it. Folks, isn't that us? Our home base is a place of immense nutrients. We have the very words of life that come from God himself. And we have been dispatched by God into the places of Babylon, places where There is just inadequate nutrients. Places where people are confused, the nonsense of their day prevents them from even being able to know right from wrong. And God has given us the task to help them prosper by bringing the truth to them and showing them the transforming power that truth will have. What an opportunity for us. And God's promise is that when we live that way, we ourselves will prosper. 
And you say, well, how is that, Kyle? How is helping Babylon prosper ultimately going to help us prosper? Let me finish this section of God's letter in Jeremiah 29. God writes this in verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Then in verse 11, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you in to exile. Uh, if Jeremiah 29, 11 happens to be your life verse. I just want you to know that a verse that is often taken right out of its context. And so if that's your life verse, it's a great life verse and it's an encouraging life verse, but just know, and don't be disappointed when you realize that that verse comes in the context of living in Babylon and helping the Babylonians to prosper. But God did fulfill his promise to the people. And after 70 years, Many of them returned to Jerusalem and it was there they rebuilt the city and they rebuilt the temple. And you may ask yourself, they were in exile for 70 years. Where did they get the resources to rebuild the city and the temple? Well, the Persian empire provided it for them. And you say, well, where did the Persian empire get the resources for it? From conquering Babylon. See, the prosperity that Babylon had gathered up was taken over by the Persians and then given to God's people to restore the temple, which prepared the way for the coming Messiah. Folks, God is always working a plan of redemption. And so he is calling you and me to be faithful to him in Babylon and for us to prosper by helping our communities in which we have been placed to prosper. And in so doing, God's promise to us is that he will remain faithful to us. Do not be discouraged in Babylon. Stay faithful and live on mission. Let me pray for us. Father God, a great and a big challenge that you've given to us. Lord, none of us would choose to go to Babylon. It's a difficult place. But Lord, you are working in that place. And Father, forgive us for giving into our preferences and our desires. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen us through your spirit to live on mission in the places that you have sent to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.